and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is a spoiler-free podcast. So whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thank you for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 6, Episode 13, Dead Things. So before we get into the discussion of this episode, I think it's super important for us to just note, you know, I try to put trigger warnings in our episode descriptions uh, as a matter of course, but for this episode in particular, we will be discussing the scenes in detail. Uh, There's a lot of talk of sex, sexual violence, attempted rape, uh, you know, sexual assault, murder, violence against women, domestic violence. Please practice self-care as you watch the Buffy episode if you haven't already, and as you listen to this episode, because we're going to get into it. I missed this in our last episode, but we are halfway through season six already. Yeah, I'm th- I was thinking about this when I was watching the episode last night. And, you know, if you kind of picture a graph of the episode, and I'm going to do arm motions for you, Steph, but nobody else is going to see this. Like, season six kind of starts off, like, down here, and then it it rises gradually until about, you know, once more with feeling tabula rasa, where it reaches this peak. And then it goes sharply downhill, (laughs) and that's where we are right now. This is the lowest point of the season so far. I agree. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was watching this very bleak episode. I was like, okay, so yeah, bargaining part one, two, afterlife, the the big twist of Buffy being in heaven. We were like, wow, okay, yeah. And then we were like, boom, 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 hilarious episodes. And then we got, once more, feeling tabula rasa. We're like, wow, 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 wow. And then ever since then, I've just been so sad and mopey and this is like the culmination of all that it's so bleak this episode it's bleak it's gonna be a tough conversation um yes it's so dark we had a we had a a late email um last night or this morning to us from somebody shout out danielle uh about dead things basically not so much a hot stake it's just kind of like asking us (laughs) to try to help us find the joy in the episode like yeah where's the fun parts of the episode We're going to try, Danielle. We're going to try so hard. Can I confess to you my fear about this episode? And then I'm sure, like, you're not going to spread this around. Nobody else is listening, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just this is between you and me, bud. Thank you. Um, So I'm worried I'm going to come off as shrill as we talk about this episode. Because the misogyny in this episode is just so blatant and so overt. And it's done on purpose, you know, the... The, the show is very clearly condemning the actions of Spike and the trio here. So, so I'm, just, I'm just worried that as we talk about it, I'm going to get all worked up. And there's certain things in this episode that are a little triggering for me. And I'm worried I'm going to like just be yelling into the <laughs> microphone. And people are going to be like, we get it, Kara. They're bad. So <laughs> please hold me back if I start doing that. No, I'm going to let you go. Go off. This is our chance to do that. And also, you're not going to be shrill. You're going to be right. <laughs> and there's a difference. Uh, I'm with you right on there. I, 
there's so much stuff in this episode that makes my skin crawl, that made me upset, that had my brain melting. But again, a shout out to Danielle's email because I love that she was like, you guys, where's the joy? Like, help me, help me. Because like, I can't find it. And you know what, Danielle, we're going to do our best to find it for you. But like, honestly, the joy is that me and Kara are in a safe space together right now where we can discuss the very heavy themes that we're going to be, that we saw in this episode. Like I said to you last night, there's nobody else I'd rather be talking to Buffy in this way about this kind of stuff with than you, Steph. I feel exactly the same way. But on that note, I'll also add that I got a little treat and I watched this episode in person with my bestie, Catherine. Uh, Shout out to her because she listens to us. Catherine. I never get to watch this with anybody and she was over and we watched it together. And so I had a chance to kind of bounce off my initial thoughts of the episode with her. So again, like this, I'm just bringing this up because I love her, but also because... When you watch a show like this um, with your friends, it feels so special, as Cara and I know firsthand, but um, especially when it gets dark, when when episodes like this come around and this is the lowest or maybe the most depressing episode we've seen yet, and that includes the body, which was just straight up sad. This one is just, ooh, it's dark. So um, yeah, if you have someone to talk to about this kind of stuff, that's the way to be for this kind of episode. Do Do you have an alternate title? Yeah, men ain't shit. (laughs) That's it. My alternate title is going away. Mm. (sighs) Okay, okay, let's get into it. We are in Spike's cave. (laughs) I call it a cave. It's his basement. I don't know what it is. Um, We hear groaning and objects smashing, and we pan across a destroyed room, and there's an empty bed. Where are Buffy and Spike? Oh, they're just finishing coitus. And they are panting and they're lying next to each other under a bunch of rugs. <laughs> and I was thinking, ooh, Rugs Field. But like, that's not where it got its name. <laughs> so. Was this their Rugs Field role play? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Buffy says, we missed the bed again. And Spike says, lucky for the bed. Um, okay, so this entire scene, they're they're under these, these rugs, right? Because um, they just had sex in them. That's not comfortable. Like, have you ever <laughs> touched a rug? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going to ask me if I'd ever had, had sex on a pile of rugs and I was going to have to disappoint you. I have touched a rug, yes. And I was I was actually going to comment on that as in, I don't think that would be comfortable. So thank you. I feel like friction, I feel like the word rug burn is a word for a reason. <laughs> and also these rugs aren't like your plushy, like comfy rugs that you might put on a child's floor. This this is like straight up like old lady, old school rug that's like meant to collect dirt like they're probably filthy and just heavy (laughs) it's just super super heavy so anyway whatever um buffy says this place is okay for a hole in the ground you fixed it up and spike says i ate a decorator once maybe something stuck and buffy like smiles at that and i was like wow buffy like this guy is a murderer (laughs) and you're just like okay um buffy says i was thinking of doing something to my room i think the new kids on the blocks posters are starting to date me and spike laughs and says uh if you want i can but then he stops himself and he says are we having a conversation and buffy's like what no no maybe and spike says isn't this usually the part where you kick me in the head and run out virtue fluttering (laughs) And that made me laugh, the the visual of Buffy just kicking him in the face and leaving. (laughs) Is Buffy going to get a drawer at Spike's place? 
if she gets a drawer at Spike's place before she was given a drawer at Angel's place, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. <laughs> Just the, the way this conversation is going, I feel like we're heading into drawer territory. Yeah, but uh, well, I mean, it's interesting eh? because they, they are getting along, right? They're having an actual conversation. It sounds like Buffy usually like orgasms and then leaves. <laughs> but here she's like kind of hanging out and Spike is trying to be cool about it, but he can't help himself. He's literally just like, we're, we're talking. And Buffy says that the plan is to leave, right? As soon as my legs start working. And Spike says, you are amazing. And Buffy says, you, go, you got the job done yourself. And Spike says, I was just trying to keep up. The things you do, the way you make it hurt in all the wrong places. I've never been with such an animal. And Buffy's uncomfortable by this, right? She flinches when he touches her. And she's like, I'm not an animal. And Spike says, you want to see the bite marks? And Buffy says, it's late. I should go home before Dawn goes to sleep. And Spike says, and she's off as Buffy starts like looking for her underwear. And again, she like, crawls under this giant heavy rug. And Spike says, what is this to you? This thing we have. And Buffy says, we don't have a thing. We have this. That's it. That's all. And Spike says, do you even like me? <laughs> and like then, Kara, he passes Buffy a note that says, do you like me? Yes, no, maybe. And expects Buffy to pull it out. <laughs> like what a little child. <laughs> okay, me, again, I watched this with my best friend, Catherine. We, we laughed so loud at this part because we were like, Spike, you're so pathetic. Do you, do you like me? <laughs> And he's always been this way, right? He's been this way since he was William. Do I make you feel effulgent? <laughs> so yeah, so Buffy's really got to fill out that note. I think today she would write maybe. Like, maybe I like you. Clearly she likes the way he makes her feel. Well, yeah. In her legs. Well, I mean, her not feel her legs. Buffy looks at him and says, sometimes, which is basically maybe. Spike says, but you like what I do to you. And Buffy says, nothing to that. And Spike holds up handcuffs and he says, do you trust me? And Buffy says, never. And I was like, mm, this wouldn't really require your trust, Buffy, because... Can she just like break those handcuffs? No problem. Like she could just like squeeze them. <laughs> they would just like disintegrate from her strength. Well, and I know we brought this up briefly before and I, I've seen people discussing this on Discord and elsewhere, right? Like in a truly kinky relationship, you need that foundation of trust, right? If you want to practice things like BDSM safely, you have to trust the, the partner or partners that are in these scenes with you. And, and so... For the show to show it this right, way, right, and for Spike to be like, oh, yeah, let's use some handcuffs, right? And Puffy being like, I don't always trust you. Like, that's the red flag here, right? The red flag is not the rough sex. It's not the kinkiness. The red flag is the kinkiness layered on top of, you know, a lack of trust. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, I'm sure we'll talk more about that type of, like, kink and trust and consent as we go on. We cut to the trio who are in a new space, and they're unpacking, and Andrew's snapping at Jonathan for touching his stuff. And he's like, actually, living with supervillains was not part of the deal. And Jonathan says, we're on the lamb. It's not like we have a choice. Andrew says, this sucks. Couldn't we have at least gotten a lair with a view? Jonathan says, stop whining and get your sissy crap out of the way. And Andrew shouts, quit it! And they start to tussle. And Warren is on the other side of the room. He says, hey, when you girls are done touching each other, the cerebral dampener is ready to be charged. So they all put on tinted glasses and Andrew takes out what is a musk gland of a Hamja Maliv demon <laughs> fresh out of his pocket. Jonathan takes it and pours some powder over it in his hand. He speaks another language and then it glows yellow and like 
kind of floats into what is the cerebral dampener object on the desk. So question, Kara, is Jonathan a warlock? Like, he uses magic so willy-nilly. He's very similar to how Willow uses magic. He's just like, pew, pew, pew. He's doing all the stuff. He's got the magic bone, right? He, like, like he, is he a warlock? Like, is he a witch? How come he can use magic so well? Oh, he's yeah, he's definitely a warlock at this point. I think, I think we established that as of Superstar, right? Like, he did the spell in Superstar. And then after Buffy and the gang foiled his evil plot... Um, I think he's just been honing his magic skills this past year. Isn't it so funny that like he's the only character that does like magic, but isn't in this like aesthetic of being a Wicca or a witch? Because like we have like Willow, Tara, like Amy, but Michael. Amy wasn't Amy wasn't really like that either, right? Like I think Willow and Tara represent one path of magic where they're trying to be very respectful of magic and its connection with nature and the elements. Amy maybe started down that path and then veered really far away from it. And that's kind of the territory Willow was venturing into. But yeah, like, I think we, I think the show has established that there is, you know, dark magics with a K. <laughs> and that's kind of where Jonathan is right now. Right. So Warren says the cerebral dampener is all mine. And with this baby, we can make any woman we desire our willing sex slave. I know just <sighs> where to start. So... Again, with this show and sex slaves and mind-controlling women, like, what is going on? I feel like when we get further into the plot, we need to ask ourselves, why? <laughs> like, what, what, what? No comment. <laughs> right? Like, is this necessary? For now. <laughs> We're getting there. To... <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Cut to credits. Buffy is working at the Double Meat Palace. She's trying something new by saying double meat is double sweet as her new catchphrase. Barf. <laughs> and Gina's still there. She didn't uh, die from the penis demon. She's alive. Tara comes to meet her on her break. And I was like, that's so sweet. Uh, Tara comments on the motivational posters on the wall in the staff room. I am surprised by a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, happy to see Tara again. It's been a while. Genuinely surprised that this restaurant chain is big enough to have a staff room the size that it is, right? It looks like a huge cafeteria lounge, whereas like my experience when you work in restaurants like that, it's usually like a little coat room <laughs> where you can jam your stuff in and get changed in, right? There's a bathroom yeah, in there. Yeah, I remember working at the art gallery, right? Like we had that tiny, tiny kitchen. Yes, yes. Um, I still have nightmares about that dishwasher, by the way. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so the, yeah, so that Stafford is huge, but also I'm surprised that Tara is allowed back there because so it's like employees only, you know what I'm saying? Like they should have sat in the actual restaurant area. Well, and she has a, a pop, right? Like some kind of beverage. So I'm curious, like, did she order it? Did Buffy comp her? Like what's going on there? Yeah, so Tara asks if it's bad and Buffy says, I was hoping you could tell me. And Tara says, I knew this was going to happen. What did Willow do now? Did she hurt anyone? And Buffy says, this isn't about Willow. And Tara thought that was why Buffy called her here and not to meet her at the house. And Buffy's like, no, no, Willow's fine. She's been doing well. She's be You'd be proud of her. And Tara says, that's good. What do you want to talk about? So Buffy says, it's Spike. He can hurt me without his head exploding. And Buffy's hands are on the table when she's telling Tara this. And she's playing with her wrists. And I'm assuming that she means like the handcuffs. And she moves them under the table so Tara can't see. So this part I'm unclear of. I don't know if Buffy actually did engage in the handcuff sex, the kinky sex with Spike. 
or if she just was thinking about it and like you know was rubbing her wrist because of it like it's never clear whether or not she actually did it with him i mean at least i think at some point we're supposed to infer, we're supposed to infer that at some point they've engaged in some kind of bondage i guess i think so yeah but like it was unclear at this point whether or not they had with the handcuffs specifically Tara says, oh my god, his chip stopped working? And Bobby says, no, it still works, just not on me. I need to know about the spell, the one that brought me back. I'd ask Willow, but... And Tara says, you think it's you? And Buffy says, I don't know. I feel different. There are things that... I just, I think maybe I can, I came back wrong. And Tara says, no, Buffy, you didn't. And Buffy says, will you check out the spell, see if there's something? Could you just check, please? Ah, poor Buffy. So we cut to outside some bar lounge. Jonathan and Andrew are in the creepy van surveilling the bar and speaking to Warren, who's inside. He's wearing a suit and he's saying, beginning preliminary sweep. And he's got a camera on his tie so the boys can watch what he's doing. Okay, this bar (laughs) is so like upscale and swanky for Sunnydale. We've never (laughs) seen it before. Are they in Sunnydale? Is this... I was thinking they were. They're either yeah, that's a great question. They're either in Sunnydale or like you know a nearby city that must be bigger. Like, is this where Brian took Joyce on a date? Like, it feels. <laughs> God, I hope so. Like War- Warren is too young to be in this space. Key, that's exactly my thoughts. My first thought was perhaps, perhaps Katrina is back in their home in their in the town where they went to school. Because remember. They met in campus, right? So they went somewhere mm-hmm. else. So I'm like, maybe they went to a different city to find a victim for a sex slave, which makes sense. So I gave them that. But the yeah, the, the type of bar, the lounge that they're in, my note was a little bit later in the scene, but it's here was, how old are these people? Suddenly, Warren and Katrina are divorcees in their mid-30s at the bar wearing these sophisticated clothes. Like, Thank you, yes. Like, they should be under 23. Like, let's just... They're, they're, they're finally acting their age. <laughs> like, I'm giving Katrina the benefit of the doubt and being like, maybe she's a bit older than Warren because Warren is probably Buffy's age. And, but like, definitely too young to be at this well, place. Well, maybe Katrina was just looking for an older man now, right? She's like, I'm done with the young ones. I'm going to go find me an older man well in that case good for her (laughs) you know if she's like 23 24 and she's ready for a sugar daddy have adam you know um but yeah this is a swanky little lounge cocktail lounge so um warren tells them to keep his eyes out for the slayer i don't want any surprises as he walks around and andrew says we can really have anyone we want and jonathan says it's like candy andrew says juicy pulsating candy so Y'all are gross. This is gross. Yeah, y'all are gross. I called this in my notes the meat market of the trio. Just the language that they're using, and it's present throughout this episode. Again, I'm just going to keep talking about it, I guess. I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. They're constantly reducing women to body parts. And it's gross. And again, like I know the show is doing it on purpose. They're trying to drive home the point that these are not nice dudes, right? But it's, uh, I think what gets to me, and maybe this is too early in the episode to talk about this, the show is trying to make it seem like they're evil because of this. And it's like, but this is how so many boys and men talk. Yeah. And it is, I don't even know the word for it. Like we're, we're saying it's gross. It's disheartening. It's locker room it's talk. It's scary. Yeah. There's, it's just the fact that like, it's like candy. We can pick anything we want from the shelf. It's like, oof, oof. So Johnson says, the one with the neck, 
like, like just the, oh, that one has a neck. Let's get her. Andrew says, no, the redhead. We can, we can, and then we can hear them fighting amongst themselves. And Warren spots Katrina, his ex, sitting at the bar, and he says, target acquired, initiating contact. And Jonathan and Andrew are saying that they'd rather go with the girl with the bazoombas, right? And they start fighting over there, like bazoombas, bazoombas, because she's got boobs, <laughs> boobs. So that's what they're thinking. Because they're twelve, right? Warren takes out his earpiece and goes to talk to Katrina and he says so how'd you get so beautiful and Katrina says doesn't know it's him at first she says does that line usually work that's not a good pickup line right no it's terrible but also you think okay. she'd, she'd recognize his voice you know it's it's you know a crowded loud bar she's not expecting to see him right she was expecting some some dashing 55 year old Divorcee. She's like, where's daddy child? Like, <laughs> right? That's where I'm here to meet up with uh, Ethan Rain or Ripper Giles. So um, she recognizes Warren and she says, what the hell are you doing here? And he says, it's nice to see you again too, Katrina. And Katrina says, it's the seeing you part that's throwing me here, Warren. I thought it was pretty clear that uh, with the never wanting this to happen again. <laughs> Good for you, Katrina. Warren says, you're not still sore about that thing, are you? And Katrina says, what thing would that be exactly? The wind-up slut you tinkered together? Or when little Miss Nuts and Bolts tried to choke me to death? And Warren says, so I've made a few mistakes. And Katrina says, no, I did. Forever lowering myself to be with a jerk like you. She gets up to go. And so does Warren. And he says, don't say that. Katrina says, what did you expect? To just waltz in here and sweep me off my feet with your cheesy lines and fancy suit? And Warren says, I thought we could talk. Maybe we could work things out. And Katrina says, there was nothing to work out. What you did was sick. Just looking at you makes me want to vomit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Warren says, you sure about that? As he puts on his glasses and he takes out the cerebral dampener and a light comes from it and, and Katrina looks at him and she's now obviously hypnotized and she says, I love you, master. And Warren says, I love you too, baby. Moving on. <laughs> not yet. Not Hold yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> <Hold>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Buffy comes in and Steph says, wearing the most odd shirt I've ever seen. <laughs> Isn't it though? Like, okay, it's off the shoulder. It's it's like lime green. It's got it, the writing on it says brownies and Davidson core camp. I don't get it. I don't understand yeah, it's this. Like a, yeah, it's like a bardo kind of sleeve. Like it's cute on her. It emphasizes her figure, but also like, yeah, it, my impression is it's from like um, Abercrombie and Fitch, right? Like it's trying to be... Like trendy and cute upscale yeah trendy it, and cute and you know you're too hot for this town it's very rare for buffy to be wearing um clothes that have you know writing and stuff on it that's a very willow thing you know is, yeah is, is this a secret message people let us know please <laughs> so buffy finds xander and don dancing in the living room uh as anya and willow watch uh and if you listen closely they are dancing to once upon a dream from Sleeping Beauty. Yes, they are. Good catch, Steph. I did not catch that. <laughs> so Anya says, we're teaching Don perfectly synchronized dance steps for the wedding reception. Uh, and meanwhile, Xander dips Don and says, you want to go for a spin? I think this is really sweet. I like that they're yeah. that they're teaching Don to dance. I like that they're all hanging out in the living room together. My note, which I shared with you as I was watching this episode last night, is how are Xander and Anya the most normal part of this episode right if you're looking for the joy in this episode quite honestly it's xander and anya because 
this scene and then the later scene at the bronze where they're doing their swing dancing or whatever it's kind of wholesome you know and, and they just want to dance yeah and i think I, I mentioned this before and i'll just recap it again right like there is a part of me that's sad that xander and anya's characters are kind of on hold at the moment all they are in this part of the season is wedding planners like that's all that's happening to them right now and that makes me kind of sad and i know that there's some tension there and obviously we're going to see the payoff of that in some kind of episode in the future but right now in this moment because of how bleak this episode is i'll take it like i'll just i (laughs) I will take how adorable they are and the dancing and the teaching dawn had it like it's just cute also they've had so much tension and they've been fighting so much this season that like for this episode to see them just having fun together and dancing and preparing and like enjoying the good parts of wedding planning it is nice to see and Xander not being creepy, right? And I, I mean, I know the bar is on the floor for the men in this episode, but like, I genu- I can't think, correct me if I'm wrong, Xander, I have no complaints about Xander in this episode. Me either. And you know, again, you know, it's an off episode when Xander is the least problematic man. Well, now that Giles has left, he's the least problematic man in Buffy's life. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that i'm not ready to hear that <laughs> so anyway uh buffy refuses and says i'm heading more towards an ungainly collapse <laughs> and willow asks if buffy had a rough day and buffy says kind of xander says you've been going at it too hard buffy we hardly ever see you what with slinging the double meat and pounding the big evil <laughs> <laughs> oh Was my in innuendo yeah pounding the big evil oh. <laughs> As in Spike, they do it again. Anya says, um, "You're looking a little pounded, right?" Like so, they're talking okay, that, about that went that went oh. over my head. Thank you for <laughs> that's why you're that. like, why why did you pause there, Steph? Um, yeah, they're they're this, Bobby is thinking, oh shit, they know, but then you know they don't know. Gotcha. Also, so Xander's like. We hardly seen you, Buffy, but like, wasn't it not a couple episodes ago where Xander was like, we need to spend more time with Buffy. We need to like make weekly dinners. We need to have a video club. That that, that was before he got sucked into wedding <laughs> Clearly, clearly, because I was like, so none of that happened. You just decided, oh, you know what? Willow and Tara broke up. That's it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Willow and Tara broke up. Willow has her whole wobble like... I mean, at this point, it sounds like a weekly video net would be good for everybody. Yeah, I think everyone needs to join in. I think it would really help. Did did Blockbuster invent friendships <laughs> just to sell more rental videos? I'd say. Anyway, <laughs> um, so Willow says, we're thinking of heading to the bronze later. Want to come get all unwindy? Xander says, tall glasses of frosty relaxation on me, the nectar of the working man. And Buffy says, mm, nah, thanks. They all stay here with Don, curl up on the couch with a big bowl of popcorn, and... Beep, beep. That's a car honking. That's my sound effect. Oh, good. <laughs> I was like, are you okay, car? <laughs> Your honking's happening again. <laughs> Your honking disorder. <laughs> There's the joy, Danielle. <laughs> I, oh, no, I beat out it as I have Beaker from the Muppets. <laughs> so that a car honks. And Don grabs her jacket and Buffy's like, where are you going? And Don says, oh, I'm sleeping over at Janice's. Remember Janice? Oh, Janice, where you been? And Buffy said, whatever happened to Belinda? No, seriously, no, Don dumped her like after the body. She was like, maybe, maybe Melinda, was it Belinda or Melinda? I'll never remember. I think it's Melinda. <laughs> maybe she, maybe she started dating uh, dreamy Kevin and Don was like, oh, fuck no. both of you, you know? 
Please, somebody send Steph the teen girl fanfic of Don Summers. <laughs> no need. I already have it in my head. It's headcanon. <laughs> um, so Buffy says, I'm falling for that again because of the surprise lobotomy. <laughs> Willow says, oh, it's okay. I checked it out. Janice's mom is picking her up. So <laughs> once again, I have to ask, what the hell does Janice's mom think is going on in that house? Because we have we have... Willow answered the phone. I'm sure Tara answered the phone. Buffy bot answered the phone. Giles answered the phone. And they all seem to be in charge of Dawn. No wonder Janice's mom is like, I'm coming to get you, Dawn. I'm getting you out of there. We're going to make Mexican. <laughs> right. So that's what happens Janice's next. mom is the hero of the story <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> right. So Buffy says, oh, and Dawn says, I didn't think you'd care. All attitude Yes. You're never home. So, and Buffy says, I know. I'm sorry. But I have to have sex with Spike. <laughs> I got to get pounded by the Sorry, big that evil. Sorry, that would be Buffy Bot. <laughs> but I'm here now, all visible and everything. Couldn't you just stay at Janice's another night? And Dawn says, her mom's cooking Mexican. God, Buffy. God, Buffy. <laughs> She's going to teach me how to make grilled tortillas. Delish. I don't know why you have to teach someone to make that. Like, just. just Did you not see Don's cooking in Rex? Like, Don needs help. Fair. Okay. I okay. Fine. I'll give her that. But I also will say I cannot fault Don for this at all because Mexican food is delicious. If her mom is offering to cook her dinner, why wouldn't she go? Since we know that, like you said earlier, Don sucks at making her own dinner and breakfast so um good for you don go get that mexican so don dials the attitude up to 11 and says it's not like i knew you'd be around Oof. beep beep again from the car from cara <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to get it under control <laughs> you said you wouldn't talk about it on the air Steph. you outed yourself <laughs> <laughs> so Don leaves. Buffy's feeling. <laughs> I just spilled coke all over my face. <laughs> oh, oh god! Dead things. <laughs> Leave this in. Yeah. <laughs> so Don goes. Buffy feels all rejected, and she turns around immediately and says, "Frosty nectar now, please." Once again, I'm getting a bit of whiplash from Dawn here because, you know, two episodes ago, she was like, like, Buffy, like, you're the worst. And then last episode, she was in a good mood. This episode, again, she's she's kind of in a good mood, but not toward Buffy. And at first I was confused. I was like, what is going on with Dawn? But then I'm like, no, no, no. This is so classic 15-year-old, you know? Like, she's moody. She's going to be right. in a good mood sometimes, in a bad mood other times. And when Buffy doesn't know exactly what's going on with her, she's going to flip out. That's what being 15 is all about. And I love it for her. Also, though, I did want to say that Dawn is like, you're never here, Buffy. And I think a couple of weeks ago, that would have been valid. But, um... Don, Buffy's working now, right? Buffy's got a job. Fair, she is taking off after her job to go boink Spike. But Don doesn't know that. So so Buffy's not out partying, right? She's not out like just hanging out with the Scoopies without Don. She's just she's working. Yeah. So oh so Katrina is wearing a maid's uniform. And she's pouring the trio champagne. She's saying, my pleasure, master. So this is so Barbie and Ken, like from the Barbie movie, if anyone who's seen that movie, um, Ken's Mojo mm-hmm. Doja Casa House. <laughs> like this is exactly um, when Ken went and built a patriarchy for himself and all the Barbies <laughs> served them. <laughs> Like, this is what that is. Um, Jonathan is saying, I really could have just used one of these in high school. <laughs> 
Warren says, gentlemen, to crime. And the boys say crime and they drink. Jonathan is admiring Katrina and he's like, wow, I still think I would have gone with the bazoombas, but wow. And Warren is also leering at her. And Andrew is like, she's really cute. And Warren says, cute. Look at her men. The shape of her lips, smooth, silky skin. The way her nose crinkles when she laughs. She's perfect. So I got to say here, like I do appreciate how the writers are portraying several different kind of ways of objectifying women here, right? Like you've got Jonathan, who, as we know from previous seasons and episodes, is kind of like the outcast loser guy at school, um, maybe has a little bit of a complex about his height. You know, he's short and he looks much shorter in this scene because Katrina's wearing heels. And, and so Jonathan's kind of like almost feeling overwhelmed at this point by his proximity to an attractive woman. Andrew doesn't really seem to know what to say because he's gay. <laughs> um, spoiler, not spoiler. Like, well, I, I think it, it's, you know, it's not clear, but like I could it's, see it. It's never canon in the show, but it's like so close to being canon that I think most of us fans know they that Andrew's they've gay. They've already and, made fun of him for it, right? And in Big Bad, Lily Anderson, friend of the show, confirmed that an alternate universe Andrew is gay. So, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I feel like Andrew's kind of compensating here. Um, he doesn't really know what to say, right? He's... He, you know, he, he's like, oh, she's really cute, right? It's like me when I'm like, how do I tell my friends that they're hot? I, I just do. Do I say that they're hot? Like, I don't really know what to say because it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm trying to compliment my friends, but also like. Tell them they have nice yabos. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it's my advice. Thanks. No, no, you're so right. And then and then I uh, like just jump on what you're saying. And then obviously Warren is pointing out more of her features that someone who was in love with her would say. No, no, he's just obsessed. He's in lust with her, right? Yeah. He doesn't love her, but he, he, yeah, he's the connoisseur. Yes. He's the one who has spent all this time on the internet. He's probably got not just like free cable porn, but a, just a ton of porn saved on his computer and like hentai and, and, you know, all that kind of more extreme stuff where he's like, you know, he has fantasized about this moment far too long he's cataloged katrina's features and it's a whole other level of disturbing and also like when he you know it's for me it's the quote the way her nose crinkles when she laughs like that is a very intimate thing to know about somebody so it's that intimate level that is upsetting because he knows her intimately and he's still doing this to her, right? So the boys are giggling and they're like, yeah, she's totally hot. Katrina says, so are you, master? And Andrew says, you think so? And she says, oh, yes, master. So Jonathan is looking so excited. And he's like, okay, how do we, you know, who gets you? And Warren puts his arm around her and says, I do. And she says, that's not fair. Jonathan says, you didn't call it. And Warren says, I don't have to call it, Sparky. She's mine. Don't worry. You can play with her all you want after I'm done with her. And he takes her into the next room as Jonathan and Andrew continue to drink. In this room, Katrina it pushes Warren against a wall and starts kissing him. He says, I missed you so much. You never should have left me. Say it. Katrina says, I never should have left you, master. They kiss more. Warren says, tell me you love me. Katrina says, I love you, master. They kiss. He says, say it again. She says, I love you, master. He says, I love you too, baby. Get on your knees. So she says, yes, Warren. And she goes down and Warren's like, wait, what did you say? And that's when Katrina looks really confused. And then she says, what the... 
And the next scene is her <laughs> literally throwing Warren out of the room. Like he, he like she's strong. <laughs> he like flies. He's gonna be dead. Yeah, like she's, yeah, she's like, she, like that was April strength yeah. right there. She learned that from watching April. Katrina's been working. I out. fucking love Katrina. So, so she he flies across the room. Um, Andrew and Jonathan are playing with lightsabers because, of course, and they're like, "Oh!" And she says, "What did you do to me?" And Warren tells them to get the get the dampener. Uh, Katrina is saying, um, "Who the hell are you?" To Andrew, and Andrew says, "We're your masters." And Katrina says, "You're what?" She and she goes to Warren and she says, "Are you kidding me? You were going to share me with these two dorks?" Warren puts his glasses on and Andrew runs over and he says, we're supervillains. Call us master. And he tries to use the dampener, but it just sparks and doesn't work. And Jonathan says it's out of juice. Katrina says, is that what you used on me? Oh my God. First the skank bot and now this? What is wrong with you? And Warren says, I wanted us to be together. And Katrina says, there is no us, Warren. Get that through your big meaty head. I am not your girlfriend anymore. And Jonathan says, she's your ex. And Andrew says, dude. That is messed up. And Katrina says, oh, you think? You bunch of little boys playing at being men. Well, this is not some fantasy. It's not a game, you freaks. It's rape. Jonathan says, what? And Andrew's like, no, we didn't. We didn't know. Katrina says, you're all sick. And then she points at Warren and she says, I'm going to make sure you get locked up for this. And then she says, we'll see how you like getting raped. So before we finish off the rest of the scene, I want to talk about this a bit because please yes, I am shocked that the show said rape out loud, that they called it what it was. I shouldn't be surprised. No, I shouldn't be. But the show has yet to use that word. They've yet to actually call the multiple metaphorical and literal examples of rape that we've seen on this show. They've yet to call it what it is. But isn't that a commentary on rape culture in our society, right? Like, how many times has somebody on this show danced too close to that line, but the show has refused to call it that? Like, I'm even thinking about Go Fish with, uh, what's his name, Cameron? Mm -hmm. And the way he treats Buffy and she has to punch him in, in his nose. And if she hadn't done that, if she hadn't defended herself, that would have verged into rape territory. He was not respecting her boundaries and not looking for consent from her. This this is the everyday, right? It is I, I think that in our society, maybe we don't use that word enough. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think especially when this came out in like, what, 2001, 2002, I, I do think that the show saying rape out loud and calling this very typical fantasy trope that we've seen and we've talked about before, like mind control, mind rape, all that stuff, Calling it for what it actually is and having a conversation around that, I think, is a big step for this show. Just in the fact that they're making it so obvious. Because before, again, like you're saying, it goes without saying too often. But is that the show doing that on purpose? Or is that the time that the show came out that they're just not calling it what it is? Yes. <laughs> yes. That one might have been confusing on my end. But like what I'm saying is <laughs> I am I was shocked to hear them say it out loud because they've yet to do that on the show, even though you and I have pointed out season after season after season, how often we see rape on the show. Right. No. Yes. Sorry. I, I'm not saying that the show not using the word rape is some clever symbolism on the part of the writers okay, good. Yeah. to comment on how we don't say rape in our society. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, yeah, the show is ref- the show's hesitation to use that word is reflective. It's demonstrative of our society refusing to use that word, just like it refuses to use the other R word, racism. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
how hard is it for newspapers to call things out as racist? They have to say, you know, so-called racist and put it in quotation marks or racially motivated, right? Like we as a society have a serious problem with calling things what they are, calling harmful things out, because if you do that, if you acknowledge the actual harms that are taking place, then you have a responsibility to do something about them. And increasingly, our society is trying to shift, especially in the media, everybody who possibly is in a position of power to do something into this role of bystander, where it's basically 24-7 guy dressed up as a hot dog meme saying, we're looking for the person who did this, right? Like pointing the fingers elsewhere. Yeah. And again, I I don't want to give this show credit for using the word. I'm like, maybe they went to UPN and they're just allowed to use the word now. I don't know. Maybe Marty Noxon had something to do with it. But um, I do want to point out that this is the first time that they're having people be like, oh, was it rape? Because look at Jonathan and Andrew right now. They don't even realize what it yes. is that they're doing. They didn't even consider for one second right. that this woman is a person and that they are taking away her consent and they are sexually assaulting her. And you notice that they seem to be a lot more interested in not being called rapists than not raping her. Right. So again, I want to give the show kudos for saying it directly to our face. Like, oh my God, these boys didn't even know. And so, yeah, I, I especially I want to give a shout out to the actors in this scene. First, can we also just acknowledge that the the very last part of that speech where she says, uh, "Then we'll see how you like getting raped," is just yet another instance of buff of the the Buffy series using this very problematic trope of like prison rape and. You know, we've talked about that in previous episodes. Yeah, I caught that too, and I, that made me uncomfortable. Yeah, so I, I just want to mention that for completeness. We don't want to let that pass us by. That's bad. But this is a very powerful speech that Katrina makes. So shout out to Katrina's actor, um, Amelinda Embry, because it's hard, right? Like, this must have been a really hard scene to film for so many reasons. And the the intonation and the emotion that she puts into her voice when she's screaming at them it's really effective, in my opinion. And then for the three male actors in this scene, you know, like, it must be really uncomfortable to portray a rapist or would-be rapist, right? Like, that's not a good thing to be portraying. And I especially want to shout out to Danny Strong here, who plays Jonathan. You can see it on his face, like you were just saying, Steph. Like, you can see this moment when she yells it's rape and his face goes from oh shit like she's on to us to oh shit like i'm doing something awful and for him to be able to convey that just with his expression i think is a testament to his acting ability you know and so just shout out to everybody involved in this scene because you know, again like they are acting at this point i don't know anything about these actors and their personal lives i don't know if they're terrible people or not but like in this moment, right, they are pretending to be rapists. And I think we need to give credit to the the craft that that requires to do it in a way that allows us to understand the depth of their character, you know, and, and but also like sympathize with the effort that they're putting into that. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, well done on all the actors' parts for this for this episode in general. But yeah, I I just the 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 shockingness, the 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 chilling feeling I get when I watch Jonathan's reaction, Andrew's reaction, just that realism that they don't know that they're raping her. They don't realize that it's mm-hmm. wrong. And we have been talking about this whole season how the trio are easy to sympathize with if you're not watching with a critical eye. Because they're infantilized, because they're li- they seem like little boys that right. don't know better, but they do know better. Because as soon as she calls it what it is, Jonathan and Andrew are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this why the scene hit me so hard is because this happens all the time. And we think about all the girls that go to these frat boy parties, let's say. And they get really drunk. And then the guys take them into the back one by one. And they also don't think it's rape. I mean, that was an episode. That, that right? was already an episode that we saw. But here we see it, it with the less obviously toxic men and men that we are supposed to be like, oh, they're not a threat. These men are a threat. Exactly. And it's scary. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I was saying earlier when I'm like, I am also annoyed at the show for using rape or attempted rape as a plot device to try to illustrate how evil the trio is supposed to be here. Oh, look at look at what they tried to do to Katrina. They're so bad. Like like you're saying, like this is not that uncommon. A- and, you know, you don't have to build a mind control device to try to rape a woman. It's it's so I don't want to say it's so easy, but like because our society does a terrible job of teaching people of any gender about consent and boundaries and all of that, it can be very challenging sometimes to navigate these situations under the best of circumstances. And so for the show to position Jonathan and Andrew and Warren as evil because they kidnapped a woman and put a mind control whammy on her and then tried to rape her, the show seems to be thinking that this makes it like over the top they're like oh look at how bad they are but i think you and i are just looking and they're like it must be tuesday right yeah, like it's tiring this could happen this could happen to katrina elsewhere right like this and i i know i'm preaching to the choir here to all of our listeners but like this is just the live reality of women and some men and people of marginalized genders in our society mind control whammies or not right like this is it's just it's too it's an uncanny valley where it's like it's too real but then the show's like but we got to make it less real so that we can like show it on network tv so true it's like take away the cerebral dampener and replace it with a roofie it's the same thing yeah so it's just i'm just i'm just tired i'm sad it makes me sad so so katrina starts to leave warren tries to stop her andrew and jonathan try to grab her but she easily fights them off and she goes to the stairs warren comes up behind her and she starts to fight him off good for you girl she scratches down his face and he grabs an object and bashes her over the head with it she falls down and doesn't get up he says charge the cerebral dampener and the boys are just staring at katrina and warren says um charge it and andrew goes up to her and warren is saying we'll give her another dose a strong one everything's all right everything's gonna be all right and andrew says i don't think so she's dead and I'm, Car, I'm getting upset. I'm, this is heartbreaking. This is deeply uncomfortable. I'm upset because as we just said, this is real and this happens all the time, too often. And 
I feel so terrible for Katrina and for any woman that finds herself in this situation because it's so common and it's so common this hit me so hard when I was watching it that I went and looked at um, statistics because I wanted to do some research on this right and intimate partner female homicides out of all of them 92% of victims are killed by the men that they knew and 63% were killed by current husbands boyfriends or ex-boyfriends and they bring this up later in the conversation oh, Warren, you knew her? Like, that's the connection, right? You knew her, you you targeted mm-hmm. her, you preyed on her because you knew her, because she was your ex and you had something to prove to her. And that is terrifying and real. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Kara, but I was thinking harder on this and I was like, here's the thing. Katrina is a white woman and she was killed, right, by these three men in this basement because I think they're all to blame for this. Oh, absolutely. And I couldn't help but think that, okay, so let's just say Katrina goes missing and then she's dead. The media storm that will follow that because a white woman has been killed. Oh, oh, we see that later in the episode. We do. But it just it just made me realize, and I wanted to point out that men murder black women at almost a rate three times higher than white women. And indigenous women and girls, their homicide rate is six times higher than their white female counterparts. This isn't about race. It doesn't matter that Katrina's white in this situation. No, but, but I couldn't help but think about it because it just sucks being a woman. But you're absolutely right to point that out, Steph. I, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I, I hope our listeners will as well, right? Because, yeah, like being a woman in this world is, is challenging and, and often comes with this threat of violence regardless of who you are but it's true in you know a place like california women of color and marginalized women right so trans women especially black trans women disabled women women who experience multiple marginalizations experience a higher rate of violence especially when it comes to things like intimate partner violence so so i think you're right to point it out what i would like to add to that is I think what makes this so shocking for us as we watch this episode is, you know, so often the monster in Buffy is a monster, right? It's a supernatural being. And it might do terrible, gruesome things, including to female victims. You know, how often do we see a female victim scream and then die on or off camera on this show? But it's usually a monster doing it. And then Buffy can fight the monster and kill the monster and we can feel better. And that's not going to happen here, right? That's not going to happen in this episode. But also, like, this is not law and order. This is not a a crime procedural. We as viewers of the show are not used to seeing this reality of violence. And we've come a very long way from, you know, Debbie and Pete in what was it season two yeah no season three beauty and the beast season three i yeah i can't remember so season three debbie and pete beauty and the beasts right yes you're right because angel's back at that point (laughs) of course he is you know that episode tried to talk about domestic violence but it had to use this jekyll hyde metaphor and it had to use this potion as an excuse or serum or whatever you want to call it for why pete was turning into an abusive monster right And here we are uh, three years later, and the show has finally decided, you know what, 
we're all grown-ups here at this point or close enough we don't need that that excuse anymore we don't need that plot device you know the cerebral damper is not making the trio like this the show is just saying these are humans doing violence to a woman and there is no magic happening here there is no science fictional or fantasy plot device it's three men who end up killing a woman and i think that is probably you know this is one of the most shocking certainly one of the most heinous things to happen on this series to this point i 100 percent agree with you like i'm i'm really upset like i i i'm so disgusted that warren murdered katrina I'm disgusted that they were going to gang rape her first without even realizing what they were doing. Warren right. might have, but um, the other two apparently didn't. Like, uh, the the only thing I can think about, like, the thing that I think last happened that shocked me the most, and obviously people can disagree and point something else out more recent, but like, Angel killing Jenny, right? Mm. The way that he kills Jenny, the shock of it, because obviously, you know, she she was so close to us as a character... Obviously, Katrina didn't have the same emotional weight for us as a character. But the difference here is when Angel killed Jenny, you know, he lacked a soul. And that's not an excuse. I'm not trying to excuse away Jenny's death like that and, and say that it wasn't meaningful. But, like, we would expect that from a creature like Angel. Here, these three men are humans. They have souls. And this is the show saying that even with a soul, you can do terrible fucked up things, things that are unforgivable. And, and that's, I think, what makes it so shocking and heinous for us, right, is, you know, here and then we have, you know, somebody like Spike and we can talk about Spike in this episode in a bit, I'm sure. But like we have a creature without a soul who used to do those things and is no longer doing those things. And, you know, this is the weird, messed up, dark morality that is going on in this season. Katrina represents us all, <laughs> you know, like all women. That's why I, I actually I don't want to undersell what happened to Katrina here. I know we've talked about it for a while yeah. now, but like Katrina represents all us women that are just going to the bar and having a drink and get killed for it. Right. And it's just it's it's we'll get killed because our ex-boyfriend decided he wasn't done with us right mm -hmm. didn't respect our autonomy of saying we broke up with you don't contact us anymore and warren was like no you're mine you belong to me right and that's yeah it's it's real and heartbreaking and sad so now andrew's sitting next to katrina's body on the stairs and he's you know breaking down he's saying oh god oh god oh god and he's crying and warren is double checking he's confirming that the neck's broken Jonathan's in denial. He says, this isn't happening. Warren says, I got to think. And Jonathan says, what the hell did you do? Warren says, we did this. Me and Andrew and you. It's on all of us. We have to get rid of it. Maybe a spell. Can you teleport it out of here? And Jonathan says, no, she's... It's too big you notice how they started calling katrina it like the they won't say the yes. body just like in the body right if you say it's a if you yes. say her it, it makes that real this this scene is important because this is the scene where they make the decision to make it worse right yeah. like as we'll see in a moment here so andrew so warren says andrew is there anything that you can summon something that can devour that much and andrew says maybe a jarvlin flesh eater but they're hard to control 
it would go for us too. Jonathan says, that's it, man. We're screwed. And Warren says, we have to stay calm. And Jonathan says, tell that to your girlfriend. Warren says, ex-girlfriend. And Jonathan says, that doesn't matter. There's a link. You knew her, so there's a link. You don't think Buffy will be able to put that together? That's what she does. She'll figure it out. And I just gotta say, I really like that Jonathan's like, Buffy's the threat here. Not the police. <laughs> Buffy is the one who's gonna put it together. Don't forget that Jonathan respects Buffy in his own way. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So Andrew says, oh, it was an accident. Maybe we can turn ourselves in. What? What? What are you going to say, Andrew? Like, uh, we, we didn't mean to kill her. We were just going to rape her. Like, what? Like, what, yeah. what are you going to say? So then Warren says, I'm not going to jail. And Jonathan says, we can't hide this. Sooner or later, the Slayer is going to find out she's dead. And Warren says, maybe it should be sooner. We have two problems, the body and the Slayer. Well, what if there was a way to take care of them both with one big stone? And and you mentioned, oh, they're, tell they're calling Katrina it and now the body, right? But I, I just want to remind everybody, right? Warren always saw Katrina as a body. Mm -hmm. He hasn't seen her as a person this entire episode. So in Warren's mind, the only thing that has changed is that the body is no longer fit for the purpose he had for it. It's useless That's now. what Warren's upset about. Yeah, which is just gross. But this scene is so important because this is their, them making the decision that, okay, well, we have now killed a woman that we were going, as you pointed out, that we were going to try to rape. And you have a choice at that point, right? You can come clean and you can admit what you did and you can own it like men. Or as Warren pressures them into doing, you can make it worse by, you know, trying to hide or dispose of Katrina's body and in this case, frame it on somebody and try to, you know, exculpate yourself. And Warren saying, I'm not going to jail is so telling. For Warren, the worst consequence that he can imagine is the loss of his freedom and autonomy, which is exactly what he was taking away from Katrina with the cerebral dampener. I am disgusted. Uh... At the bronze. Oh, good thing we have an, a happier scene to come, right, Kara? Right? <laughs> At the bronze, Willow and Buffy are watching Anya and Jan Xander uh, dance. Willow is saying she doesn't want to do that at the wedding because of her dignity. And I was like, um, Willow, what the hell are you talking about? They're so cute. Like, they're having a great time. Swing is cool, yeah, Willow. Yeah, they're having a great time. And, like, we all know the bronze loves playing that big swing band <laughs> music. <laughs> like, once a season. It's cabaret night at the bronze. <laughs> And then tomorrow will be Bad Girl Night. And then the night after that will be <laughs> Michelle Branch is coming back. So much going on at the Bronx. K-pop. Oh, sign me up. Buffy asks how she doing, um, how Willow's doing. Willow says some days are harder than the really hard days. It's easier like this, though, when I'm not alone. Aw, if only Buffy got that <laughs> that luxury from her friends <laughs> to be around her. Um, Buffy apologizes for apologizes for not being around that much willow says that's okay we know you've been tied up and buffy's like what and willow says with your job and slaying buffy's like oh xander and anya come over and they're so cute they're like come dance with us like anya says come share in the joy of our groove thing and willow says despite that i'll succumb to the beat and she's like i'm gonna go dance right and buffy says i think i'll, I'll catch the next soul train out glass all the way empty more nectar required and xander again says join when you when she's done lubricating so 
Buffy puts on a fake smile. She watches her friends dance together. She gets sad. She goes to the bar, leaves her glass there. She wanders up the catwalk, up up toward the top balcony area, which is dark and mostly deserted. And we can hear the music. We can't even hear the music anymore. It's just Buffy's sad, melancholy overture. <laughs> and um, I noticed that when she walks up, she goes straight to the balcony, which is like means her back is to the stairs. So what is about to occur, like right after this, I was like, you're, you're in full view of everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into that, because I don't want what I'm going to say here to be confused with what's going on or that I condone it. I do want to, con- I like Buffy's look here. I like the cute top she's got on. I like the makeup she's wearing. Like it, it's a nice look for her. I agree. She's very put together, this girl. Much better than her lime shirt earlier. Sorry. She's watching her friends dance below and suddenly Spike is there and he comes up behind her and he says, you see, you try to be with them, but you'll always end up in the dark with me. What would they think of you if they found out all the things that you've done? And he's caressing her arm and he says, if they knew who you really were. And his hand moves down to her legs and it's hiking up her skirt. And Buffy says, don't. And he says, stop me. And she doesn't stop him. She just closes her eyes and she starts moaning and Spike makes a face too. And he thrusts forward and he, and he says, no, don't close your eyes. Look at them. And Buffy's looking at her friends dancing. Oh, geez. Spike says, that's not your world. You belong in the shadows with me. Look at your friends and tell me you don't love getting away with this right under their noses. And Buffy just looks really sad. So for anyone who doesn't know what's happening, Spike is penetrating Buffy on the balcony in full view of the entire bronze establishment, plus the stairs. Anyone walking up the stairs would be watching him thrusting behind her. And Buffy is so conflicted about this. Kara is also conflicted about this. Look at her face. I was going to (laughs) ask if they were actually having sex penetration or if he was just grinding against her because I, uh, I didn't understand. I think I think he is having sex with her. I mean, hey, people might interpret this differently. Maybe he's just fingering her. Maybe he's grinding her. I think because he lifted up her skirt and there was that thrust and they're both just like, and he's like, you're getting away with it, you know? Right. I, but like, this is like public sex, right? Like this is public fornication. Like this is yeah. a crime at this point. Like <laughs> this they is... could be arrested for this. Like it's indecent. It's indecent ex- uh, behavior. What I'll say first off, I got a couple things to say, but the first thing I want to say is, like, hey, do people just do this? I, yeah, they do. People go to the club and have sex. Sure. Like um, this feels like something out of a porno to me. This is very. This is very porno. This is and the way he he's even talking to her is very porno. Um. Here's the thing. People, when they have sex at the club, I would hope are a little bit more discreet. Like I said, they're right in the middle of the stairway. (laughs) Um, Go to the bathroom or something. I don't get it either. I would never do this in public. But hey, what I want to say first, and we talked about this in Smashed, in Gone, not in Double Meat Pals because that was not hot sex. Um, Some people might find this hot and sexy. I don't know. They might, right? But I want to remind everybody that this is... The second time Buffy and Spike have had sex with Xander in the room. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Bye. So how hot could it really be, people? Come on. Like, get, get, your, get your priorities straight. Xander is in present again for their sex. <laughs> so, so I know we're about to have a conversation about 
Spike and Buffy and consent. But I also, I just want to point out, right, that there is such a fine line between getting off on the the potential for getting caught having sex somewhere more public versus this whole thing of like consent of the people around you, right? Because the people in this, the audience, if you will, hasn't consented to see Buffy and Spike have sex. So I just, I wanted to to point that dimension out when we talk about consent as well. It's like the 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 problem with having sex publicly is not that people are having sex publicly, you know, and it, again, like you said, if, if that's, if people get off on that, that's fine. But if you're having sex publicly in front of people who didn't consent to seeing you have sex, then you've crossed a line, which seems to have happened here. And I just, and the show, the show does not comment on that at all. I'm going to jump in on that as well and remind everybody that the bronze is an all ages club. It has never been 21 plus. It has always been for children because the Scoobies have been going there since they were 16 years old. So what they're doing could be in front of minors, which would make them sex offenders <laughs> if they were to be caught. So this 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 is no good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, icky. Um, also, what's gross is Spike telling Buffy that she belongs in the dark with him. Okay. So I was just listening to Double Me Palace from our recording last week, and he literally says the opposite to her, right? Like, last week he's all, Buffy, you're too good for Double Me Palace. And this week he's all, Buffy, nobody understands you because you suck and you're terrible and only I'm the only one who's ever going to love you. It's like, he, he's vacillating wildly between giving her these pep talks about how she's so much better than capitalist drudge work. But now he's also nagging her and being like, you know, nobody loves you, so you have to be with me because I am your only option at the rock bottom. And I'm just like... Yeah, he's an evil prick. Pick a lane, dude. Pick a lane. Well, I mean, in this case, I think he says what he needs to say to get what he wants. Yes, exactly. He's an opportunistic dude. Yeah, so here he's he's blatantly telling her that she belongs in the dark, that she's wrong, that she's a dark creature like he is. And the more he can keep her thinking that she's wrong and all these things are true about her, the longer he can keep her in his pants. You know, and I, I think we've talked about this already like so many times. It's abusive. It's taking advantage of a very vulnerable Buffy. It's no good. And I know that we had a long, people had a long chat in our Discord about consent and this scene. And Buffy says, stop. He says, make me. And she doesn't make him. So is this rape was the question I saw in there. And what do you feel about that, Kara? Well, I tapped out of that chat because I kept clicking on the spoiler bars and quickly realized I did not want to do that. Shout out to all our Discord listeners. I love you, but there are some, there are times when I'm like, I'm not going to be part of this conversation. <laughs> um, I think I'm still a little too hung up on how uncomfortable the scene makes me which watching it and the whole audience not consenting. But like, <sighs> I think that Buffy shouldn't have gone up those stairs. And when I say this, I am not blaming Buffy for what Spike is doing here. But I think we need to recognize that on top of the dubious consent, this is still more self-harm that Buffy's engaging in here. And, and I think it's 
more fruitful for us to look at this scene through that lens of Buffy's self-harm, maybe then through the lens of consent. And And I'm saying that because I think that if we always try to reduce consent down to a binary of, well, yes, she consented, so therefore it's okay, versus, oh, no, she she didn't consent, and therefore it's rape. I think what we're missing is that messy middle ground, and, and this is why, you know, often you're told in consent should be enthusiastic and ongoing and very clear, and obviously that did not happen here. So by that standard, no, she didn't consent. But I also think that if we if we frame consent as this binary of, you know, it has to be enthusiastic and ongoing and obvious like this, we're missing this middle ground of sometimes you make a decision in the moment because it feels good or you think that is your best option. You think it's going to make you feel good. You think you want it in the moment. And then you realize afterwards, which I think is where Buffy's at at the end of this episode, that actually that wasn't what you wanted, right? That your consent in that moment was contingent on how you felt later on about it. Does that make sense? Am I making no, any sense? No, you are. You are. I'm. I'm totally with you here. I actually agree with you 100. percent The consent that she's giving is coming from the headspace she's in at the moment, and Spike is feeding into that headspace with his "You're dark like me. This is what you want." Like, your friends don't know who you really are. I do. Like, he's feeding into this need for her. So while she says stop because she knows she's supposed to say stop, he's already fed her what she wants to hear to keep going. So I I just feel like in this moment, she is consenting even when she says stop because she doesn't stop him physically. But we know that she's self-harming, that she's like, I kind of deserve this or this is like, there's nothing that it's, it's gotten to the point that she can't back away. It's yeah, it's like it's a consent under duress in the sense that in the sense of so many people in abusive relationships who consent in that instance to have sex with their partner, but it's because their partner has manipulated them into a position where they feel like what they're doing is consensual. Yes. But if they were in a healthier headspace, would they choose to have sex with this person? Absolutely not. Um, and that, thank you. I think I think you phrased it a lot better than I did. And I don't know, if, you know, it's just because I'm not used to talking about this stuff. But like, that's ex- that's what I was getting at, yeah. right? Is it's like when we when we frame consent as yes, she consented or no, she did it. I think we're missing out on that nuance yeah. there. And I will say, as much as I didn't partake in the discard conversation, I love that that was happening in our Discord, and, and everybody participating in it was doing a fantastic job of being respectful and, and talking about it in a very like you know, high level and uh, thoughtful ways. So again, shout out to our Discord. Yeah, and everyone <laughs> and everyone hears each other and just thanks for keeping that space really, really healthy and informative for everybody. Yeah, so next morning, Xander and Willow are walking to the magic box together and Tara's coming out of it. She has a book and Willow is surprised to see her. Xander just kind of nods to her, goes inside. Willow at, sees the book is Breckenkrieg Grimoire and she's like light reading and Tara is like oh I was just and Will says no no it's okay I didn't expect you to stop doing magic just because y- you don't have to hide it I'm doing better no spells for 32 days oh good for you Willow 
I can even go to the magic shop now as long as someone's with me at all times, but it's better now. I really, it really is, you know, if, if you were checking on me. And Tara says, no, I wouldn't. I, I was just looking for Buffy. And Willow says, I haven't seen her since last night. She's not around much these days. I kind of miss her. And Tara says, I'm sure she feels the same way. And of course, they're subtly talking about each other. Tara says, if you can see her, can you tell her I need to talk to her? And Willow says, of course. And as Tara starts to walk away, she tells Willow, I'm glad you're doing better. And she smiles at her. I don't know. It's like That's a nice little awkward kind of meeting between exes, but um, looks like there's still a lot of love there. I was mostly distracted in the scene because when Tara's like, can you tell Buffy I'm looking for her? I need to talk to her. I'm like, can you just text her? And then I'm like, oh, I <laughs> guess not. Send a raven. <laughs> well, didn't Buffy have a pager back in season one, right? If the apocalypse comes beat me, like, does she not still have a pager? Our pagers were, I thought pagers, pagers were something that happened like for two years and then it went away, like, like MySpace. <laughs> well, that's a good point. I'm just cell phones and the fact that you know so many of us are just always connected all the time have really changed <laughs> the game when it comes to tv shows and i i think maybe people who are younger than us might not fully appreciate that when they're watching these older shows so true uh we cut to an angsty music video <laughs> because yeah, what is this what is this buffy's patrolling with a stake in the cemetery <laughs> Thank spike you. is standing with his shirt open and smoking and drinking like the bad boy he is <laughs> and suddenly he senses buffy approaching and he like smirks to himself and buffy is on one side of the door with her hand on it spikes on the other side with his hand on it <laughs> they're like feeling the door and the the, the there's and a barrier like the between like, them? like nineties like if it, it sounds like evanescence I'm sure it isn't but like it sounds like <laughs> evanescence to me. Uh, wake me up! Yeah, yeah. Um, what is going on? So so Buffy so Spike opens the door and Buffy's gone and that was the music video. <laughs> so I touch the fire it and freezes. it freezes me. I died. <laughs> so. Buffy is walking away and she's like, don't think about the evil blood-sucking fiend. Focus on anything but the evil blood-sucking fiend. And a girl screams and she's like, thank you. And she runs for the noise. So a girl is being chased by the demon. A demon. Buffy tackles it. But suddenly the demon disappears. Buffy gets up and no one is around her. And we hear a whoosh. And we see Katrina crying on the ground. Buffy says, it's okay. I'm going to get you out of here. Can you walk? Are you hurt? And then we hear a whoosh and Buffy's alone again and she's getting confused and she hears voices overlapping in her head that are like, Buffy, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? Then we hear a whoosh. whoosh. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Buffy is staring down at Spike on the ground who's bleeding from the lip and he says, bloody hell, what did you do that for? Whoosh. Buffy and Spike are fighting three demons. Buffy gets punched. Whoosh. But Spike's in front of her and she says, Spike, what's happening? And he says, so you thought you could just slip away then. Vampire, remember? I could feel you. Whoosh. Buffy and Spike are fighting again. Whoosh. Buffy punches Spike in the face as Katrina runs by them. She watches Katrina fall to the ground crying. Whoosh. Three demons attack them. Whoosh. She's alone. Whoosh. She kills one demon. Whoosh. She punches Katrina in the face. And he, Katrina tumbles down a hill. <laughs> so... Buffy watches her fall in shock. Spike is still fighting the demons, and he punches one right through its chest, it appears. Spike r runs down the hill, and Buffy is kneeling next to Katrina's body, and she says, She's dead. I killed her. And Katrina, a.k.a. Jonathan, is watching from the bushes. This reminds me of that improv game, Change. So I'm talking about, I'm an improv girly, so I'm talking about the one where uh, you have two or more people in a scene, and then you have one person... Uh, to the side whose job is just to kind of randomly call change every couple of seconds so the idea is that when that person calls change 
whatever the people in the scene are doing, they have to turn things on on their heads to change up the scene. And that's what's happening here is every time there's a whoosh, suddenly it's like something different is happening in the moment in the scene. And it's, uh, I gotta say, like, it's really well done in terms of depicting how chaotic it is. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's very confusing. And I'll also add that Spike was just bragging that he's a vampire and could tell that Buffy was there. But why can't Spike hear Jonathan creeping in the bushes, not two feet away? <laughs> he, he's too... Um, he, he can't hear anything over the sound of his boner for Buffy. Those are loud boners. So very loud. <laughs> I'm glad we went the same voice. If there's a boner demon, it's loud. <laughs> So Spike says, we have to go. Buffy says, what happened? Spike says, there's nothing you can do now. We have to go Somebody before somebody sees you. And Buffy's in shock. She's literally like, I killed her. Like, what did I do? And Spike pulls her away and says, it was an accident. Like, I'm going to get you home and you're going to crawl in your bed, warm and comfy and stay there. I'm going to sort this out. Trust me. And it's interesting that he said, trust me, because early in the episode, he asked her if she trusts him. And she said, no, never. So the boys are all watching this go down in the van and Warren says two problems, one stone. Jonathan enters looking like Katrina and Warren says, nice job. She totally bought it. And Jonathan morphs back, morphs back into himself and he says, yeah, some of my best work. And Andrew says, what happens now? And Jonathan says, the night's still young. Got to be more girls we can kill. So clearly Jonathan is having the struggles, you know, and Warren says, we stick to the plan. Buffy thinks she killed Katrina. It's her problem now this fucking dick yeah he's too smart for his own good right like this is the problem with all of these villains is once again they get obsessed with the slayer we see it happen every single season just don't be in sunnydale if they just stopped <laughs> trying to fight the slayer yeah. they might actually win but no <laughs> cut to buffy back in her bedroom and she's tossing she's turning steph says in her notes this is not the kind of montage i like to see and i, <laughs> I agree with that um buffy hears the voice it's all right, love. And Spike is shirtless in bed next to her. He says, Shh, jump scare. Don't worry. It'll be our little secret. I was like, ah. <laughs> right? He kisses her back and she starts to kiss him. And suddenly she's riding him. Boom. She's naked in his crypt. His hands are handcuffed above his head. Suddenly she's handcuffing Katrina in the forest. Whoosh. And says, do you trust me? And uh, she smiles and moans and then Buffy and Spike are having sex under his rugs, and then Buffy is fighting demons, and then she stakes Spike, but it's actually Katrina's body, uh, where Katrina's dead eyes are open. And then there's a boom, and Buffy wakes up in bed, and she's still wearing the clothes that she was wearing, patrolling earlier that night. What was this? So she gets up. This is the weirdest it, thing. I didn't it was even a nightmare. Notes. He has a nightmare, but like, what does it mean? Buffy is racked with guilt <laughs> <She's> for <laughs> sleeping with Spike and killing Katrina. Wow, you're so straightforward. I was like, my brain was melting, being like, what is this? <laughs> the jump square really scrambled my brain. Yeah, well, be because Buffy's guilt over killing Katrina, which we're going to see, and we're just going to see this in a moment, is forcing her to, because she has that empathy, right? It's forcing her to reevaluate how she's feeling about sleeping with Spike. Mm. Up until now, I think she was allowing herself to be in denial and be like, yes, I'm sleeping with Spike but I'm not going to think about it too hard. But now mm. she's like, now I've done something terrible. I've killed Katrina. And now because that's so obviously shocking to her, it's kind of like rebooted her emotional, like her her conscience almost. And now she's like, now I have to take stock of all my other recent dis Oh, shit. Yeah. And like, I mean, this might be an opportunity just to bring up that guilt when it comes to 
kink sex or BDSM, right? Because it's very specific, mm-hmm. the kind of sex they showed us, like Spike being sure. tied up and the bondage, right? Well, and is her giving into that side of her what caused her to lose control and kill Katrina? Interesting. Yeah, like the, the animal, because he called her an animal earlier in the episode. So that's like weighing mm-hmm. on her. Is she becoming the monster? Yeah. Yeah, and she has that guilt over getting kinky in bed, but that's it's not the kink, Buffy, that you should be guilty about. It's the spike of it all. <laughs> So what do you do when you feel guilty about murdering somebody and also sleeping with a bad boy? You go talk to your younger sister who's also, you know, in your care and tell her all about it. Naturally. Um, So Buffy goes to see Don who is sleeping and Buffy has a a leather coat on and she sits next to Don's bed and Don wakes up and says, what time is it? And Buffy says, it's late. I love you. You know that, right? And Don sits up and asks, what's wrong? And Buffy says, I know I haven't been everything I should be everything mom was. But I love you. I always will. And Don asks, why are you talking like this, Buffy? And Buffy says, there was an accident in the woods. A girl, she she was hurt. I hurt someone. And Don says, oh my god, is she all right? And Buffy says, no, I'm sorry. So Don just doesn't say anything. She just hugs Buffy, which that's important because we're going to come back to that in a later scene. And Buffy says, there's something I have to do. I have to go to the police. Donnie, I have to. And Don says, they'll take you away, won't they? And Buffy says, I'm sorry. And Don says, no, you're not. You're never here. You can't even stand to be around me. And Buffy says, that is not true. Don says, you don't want to be here with me. You didn't want to come back. I know that. You were happier where you were. You want to go away again. So go. You're not really here anyway. And she, she runs off. She like I, I think she turns kind of away from Buffy at that point. And she runs out of the room. And then, you know, Buffy doesn't have any response to that because there is an element of truth to this, right? I totally think that she's using jail as a bit of an escape. She's been escaping, trying to escape from her life this whole season. So I think here, it, there's a lot going on, but I think part of it is her wanting to use jail as an escape. I I also want to point out how in this scene, Buffy's speaking in very short clipped sentences. And it reminds me of the body where she was trying to talk to the um, 911 dispatcher. And and it was almost like this reversion to childhood, right? Like she couldn't quite talk in full sentences. And I, I feel like something similar is happening here. Buffy's struggling to process everything. And so she... For a moment there, she was kind of like, you know, very short sentences. I have to tell what I did. I have to go to the police. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because like you just said, like that childlike response. But Buffy then also remembers that she is an adult and has responsibilities to her sister. So she still has to has, have this conversation with Don. She was in her not in her head enough to forget Don. In this case, she did want to tell right. her that she was going to go do this. But yeah, like you're saying, maybe mentally she wasn't ready to have the convo. Exactly. And I will also add, like, as much as Buffy is kind of seizing on this opportunity to check out, this scene does confirm for us that Buffy is a hero, unlike the trio, unlike Spike. Buffy recognizes when she has done something wrong. She's basically pulled a faith at this point. Can we say that? Oh, yeah. Or she, (laughs) sorry, she thinks she has. She thinks she's pulled a faith. And her immediate reaction is, I am guilty of this, and I need to report to the human authorities for it. And I, I, you know, I want to give Buffy credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. And and we are about to talk about faith a little bit, I, I, I think. But it also shows that Buffy's moral code is still very much 
it's very similar, if not the same, as how it has been this whole time. In Ted, remember Joyce like took the fall for her? She's like, oh, I don't know, he fell. And mm-hmm. Buffy's like, no, I pushed him. And we're like, no, Buffy, no. So she did that back in season two. And then with Faith in season three, she was very on the on that, like her moral code was very much in place with her. So here it is again. So it's good to see that even though Buffy is struggling with her guilt over other things, her moral code is there. Yeah, it's almost as if she didn't come back wrong. So... Outside the police station, Buffy's walking up an alley to the entrance. I was like, Buffy, where are you coming from? Why are you always coming from the alley? Like, couldn't you just walk down the street like a normal person? <laughs> so Sp- Spike comes up to behind, behind her. He's like, what do you think you're doing? I'm sorry. I just, I like how we go from Buffy, you're all right, to <laughs> Buffy, you have me like a maniac. <laughs> Buffy, what the fuck are you doing? What's wrong with you, Buffy? Why are you always taking these back streets? <laughs> you came back wrong. Buffy, you're wrong for this, all right? Because I bet it was like a four-block walk to the police station, but you chose to spend an extra 15 minutes jumping over dumpsters and stuff. So Spike is approaching her from behind again. Buffy says the right thing for once is what she's going to do. And Spike pulls her back and throws her to the ground. He says, sorry, love, can't let you do that. And just when he says that, like, I can't, I can't let you do this. It reminded me of Becoming Part 2 when he made the decision for Drusilla too, right? He's like, sorry, love, like, and he punches her and he takes her with him. Same thing. Buffy says, I have to tell them what happened. I killed that girl. Spike says, demon in the woods, time goes going wonky. They won't believe you. Buffy says, I'll show them. Spike says, show them what? Buffy says, what did you do? And Spike says, I took care of it. Buffy says, what did you do? Spike says, what I had to. I went back and I took care of it. This is getting really intense. He says, doesn't matter now. No one will ever find her. Okay, this this is my only laugh out loud moment. He's like, no one will ever find her. And then we hear the police officers running out of the police department. And they're just like, where did you find her? The river. She washed up half a mile from the cemetery. And Spike says, oh, balls. So... <sighs> Wow, Spike, you really suck at hiding a body. Could he possibly be worse than Faith, who tried to hide Alan's body? It's almost as if Spike sucks at being a bad guy. Like, <laughs> when has he ever been competent? <laughs> like, I, I think what we learned is that even when he was rolling with Angel, it was all Angelus and Darla and Drusilla, and Spike was just taking advantage of the chaos. <laughs> And, you know, he's always been bad at being the mastermind of these plans. Like, Spike is not the most brilliant tactician or strategist here. I'm just saying. No, and you know that when Angelus and Drusilla and Darla came back after taking care of everything, Spike was just sitting there going like, do you like me? (laughs) Yes or no. And like, say, whenever it's Spike's turn to hide the bodies, they have to like go and rehide them. They're like, Jesus. Yeah, go go have fun, Spike. And then it's like, okay, we'll follow in 20 minutes. <laughs> so he's like, oh, I cleaned up after myself, guys. And they're like, that's great. Um, yeah, you just you just go over there. We'll be back. They, you're so cute. Oh, just sit over right there. Um, they have bets uh, going on. <laughs> Who can find the body first? Anyway, Spike says, there isn't anything you can con- that, connect, can, that can connect this to you. Buffy says, it doesn't matter. Spike says, it wasn't your fault. Buffy says, I killed her. Spike says, that was an accident. It just happened. Buffy says, nothing just happens. They're not, they're not talking about the murder anymore, are uh, they? No, I thought they were. <laughs> I was like, oh, Buffy. Oh, when Buffy says, nothing just happens, I thought that was now Buffy talking about the fact that she's sleeping with Spike and it oh. didn't just happen. 
she decided to do that and she's regretting that now. Wow. Okay. So somewhere in here, there's a subtlety of when they start talking about themselves again and not the murder. Uh, Kara says it's here. <laughs> Buffy set, tries to walk past him. He grabs her and he says, you're not going in there. Buffy says, I have to do, the, to do this. Just let me go. Spike says, I can't. I love you. And, Spike, and Buffy says, no, you don't. Spike says, you think I haven't tried not to? Buffy punches him so hard that he flies across the alley and lands in garbage cans. And she says, try harder. She turns to go. Spike vamps out and he throws her back into the alley and says, you are not throwing your life away for this. Buffy says, it's not your choice. Spike says, why are you doing this to yourself? Buffy says, a girl is dead because of me. Spike says, how many people are alive because of you? How many have you saved? One dead girl hasn't tipped the scale. And Buffy says, that's all is to you, isn't it? Just another body. And here we are right back at our conversation in season three consequences, consequences, when Buffy and Faith had this very conversation and Faith said, we've saved so many people. One guy gets in the crossfire. Who's going to care about that? And Buffy says, me. So this is consistent with that. So you know what this scene reminds me of is those cutscenes in a video game where you as the protagonist are about to go do something decisive to kind of take a stand and this overpowered NPC shows up in an alley to give you attitude to like stop you from making that choice and so the game will then force you down a different path. That's what's going on here. Spike is an NPC <laughs> being like, no, Buffy, I don't want you to do this. Can we talk for a moment about why Spike doesn't want Buffy to turn herself in? Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to lose his sex toy, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's all this is. It's just motivated self-interest. He doesn't care for Buffy. He's just like, oh, no, if Buffy goes down for this, who am I going to have sex with? Well, what's the point of me being here? I've got nowhere else to go. So, like, if she goes, what, what happens? Yeah, I totally see that. And also, like, the whole point of Buffy going is because she feels like she needs to be punished for something, right? She's punishing right. herself on the inside about what she's doing with Spike because she hasn't been able to talk to anybody about that yet. Yes, we keep bringing it back to Faith in season three, but that's because we're geniuses. Um, (laughs) It's the whole thing that Faith said to Buffy about how Buffy is a goody two-shoes and she thinks that everybody needs to be punished for doing wrong, including herself. You're absolutely right. This is Buffy's highly moralistic streak coming out and we might criticize Buffy for that sometimes. But at least she's being consistent and true to character. Yes. Nothing in this season has shown me anything more concrete that Buffy is still Buffy. She's just going through a rough time (laughs) because she has been doing this for seasons now. She always has this moral code. I did wrong. I deserve to be punished for it. So Buffy tries to hit uh, Spike and he's blocking her punches. And she's saying, you can't understand why this is killing me, can you? Spike says, explain. Buffy starts punching him. And he says, that's right. Put it all on me. Put it all on me. That's my girl. And Buffy says, I am not your girl. And she kicks him to the ground. And then she gets on top of him and she starts punching him. And she's saying, you don't have a soul. There's nothing good or clean in you. You are dead inside. You can't feel anything. I could never be your girl. So she's wailing on this guy's face so much so that his vamp face goes away. And he's back to his normal face. And he's severely injured by the time she stops. And again, we have to compare this to to Faith. Remember in Who Are You? Season 4, Faith in Buffy's body did the exact same thing. She straddled Buffy in Faith's body and punched the shit out of her because she was actually beating herself up. All of Mm -hmm. what Buffy's saying here is to herself. She hates herself so much right now 
that she's taking it on Spike and I'll have something to say about that in a second. But once she's done punching him, she she stops and she looks in horror at what she did. And Spike is severely wounded now and he says, you always hurt the ones you love, pet. So this is hard to watch. It's really hard to watch because Buffy is beating up Spike to the point that I think is too far, you know? And we've talked about this before. Buffy, you are above what you're doing with Spike. In no way is Spike an innocent victim. You know, it's not like she's just beating up some random guy or Xander or something like that. Like he's, he is not innocent, but that doesn't mean that Buffy should be beating down on him like this. It's more of what we said before, right? She's better than this. It's not right for her to be using Spike. It's not right for her to be beating up on him. And I just wanted to be clear that I don't think that her beating up on him here is a good thing. I agree. I don't have anything to add. I just, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Even though we understand it, (laughs) you know. So Buffy gets up and walks to the doors of the police station, leaving Spike on the ground. She goes to the cop at the front desk. And this is perfect timing, Cara. This is like powers that be shining down on her. This is like snow in season three. Well, it's chaos inside this precinct, right? Like it's, it's very busy. The phone's ringing off the hook, right? And the cop has to go take this call. And this is what I was talking about earlier when you brought up the point that Katrina's a white woman. And it's like, you know, once they find that the, a white woman's missing and they're going to lose their shit, that's what's happening here. Somebody has found the body of a dead white woman and every single cop in Sunnydale is being called up back on duty, right? Like, yeah. It's like, remember back in season two when um, Teresa died and literally two hours later they were reporting it on the radio (laughs) yeah um okay so luck would have it that the cop is literally saying before buffy can even talk to him he says you got an id on that body yeah katrina silber and buffy is like katrina and she shoots back to i will i was made to love you in season five when warren was belittling katrina in front of buffy (laughs) and then she's like warren and she leaves so we got to the magic box the scoobies are doing research this is the next morning anya is amazing she knows everything about these demons she says it was the Raswandi. Very rare. Its presence in our dimension causes a sort of localized temporal disturbance. Human perception is based on linear chronology. Being exposed to the Raswandi, uh, Raswandi for more than a few seconds can cause vivid hallucinations and a slightly tingly scalp. Okay, shout out to Emma Caulfield for having to do the techno babble in this episode. Like, They're like, Giles is gone. The writers threw this <laughs> Giles is gone, we need someone. And she's like, I got this. <laughs> she's like, yes, let me do it. Once again, Anya and Xander, best part of this episode. Oh, so strange. Willow says, so that's it. These things just made you think you killed her. And Xander says, she was probably dead long before you found her. And Buffy says, it wasn't a demon. It was Warren. He knew Katrina. He had something to do with it. I know it. And Willow says, how can you be sure? <laughs> Guys, just believe her (laughs) and Buffy says you always hurt the ones you love okay Dawn says does that mean that you're not going away Buffy says yeah I'm not going anywhere but Dawn storms away instead of hugging her and being happy about it because Dawn's upset okay Buffy says to the Scoobies that they need to find Warren and the others whatever whatever they've done they're not going to get away with it but of course, we cut to the trio in the van who are saying, we're going to get away with it. Warren is reading the police report and it says the coroner ruled it a suicide. You mean she rolled down a hill and died on purpose? <laughs> There's so much that's so wrong here. That's a very fast coroner's report. Oh. So like, because this is the same night, right? Yes. yes. Or the no, next the morning, morning, the, the coroner's like, yeah. right. So it's being examined already. You're absolutely right about what you just said, Steph. Like, 
they would look at the the blunt force trauma to the head and they would see fibers right like they would see fibers of the the wood or carpet or whatever like also katrina scratched <sighs> warren's face therefore war she would have warren's dna under her fingernails i mean yeah i want to say i'm shocked but also like a cab right like the police are just gonna look at this and be like we don't want to investigate this further it's just a dead woman and yeah so not shocked i will also add it's very bleak but this episode's bringing it up how bleak it is to be a woman in this world where we have rules you know cover your glass with your hand right like stranger danger um the second location rule don't allow yourself to be hit by a cerebral dampener uh, cl- classic right the one that I always remember, <laughs> and I told my husband about this one time, I was like, okay, if I'm ever being attacked and I just don't think I'm going to make it out, I'm going to claw his face up and claw his ass up so that all his DNA is under my fingerprints so that they can f- capture him like later when they find my body. And because my husband, who's a lovely man, is a man, he's like, I'd hope that you would try to escape. Like, as opposed to, like, focusing on scratching up his face. And I was like, but you don't understand, all right? Because sometimes... You're just you're just gonna be outpowered, and I'd rather get him from the grave <laughs> than than miss the opportunity. This, this is why we turn on, you know, find my phone or whatever before we go on dates and stuff. This is why I took a picture of his license plate when he picked up me up from my first date. Uh, not that I thought he was a serial killer, but he could have been, right? <laughs> it's yeah. a different world for us out there. Men don't understand. So okay, so Jonathan is asking, what about Buffy? Warren says. It wasn't that hard messing her game up. If she figures it out, we'll take care of her. Andrew says, we really got away with murder. That's kind of cool. And Jonathan says, yeah, cool. But you could tell he so does not think it's cool. (laughs) Yeah, again, Daddy Strong with the face acting here. It's that moment of slippage of like, he's finally clued into the fact that this whole being a member of a crime lord trio means you're doing crimes, right? And it it hasn't sunk in for him until this moment. And now he's like, oh, shit, I'm the baddie. But he can't do anything about it because he doesn't feel safe, right? He's the one realizing, like, I am unsafe right now. I'm in danger. So he has to put on the face and pretend to go along with it. And I'm saying this. I'm not excusing Jonathan from anything that he's done in this episode. He is, you know. Guilty. Yeah, he's guilty. Like, he is complicit. But I'm just pointing out, right, that it's like. At this point, Warren and Andrew are kind of on one side of this, and Jonathan is now kind of drifting over to a different side. They are Mm -hmm. no longer the trio. I cannot wait for the trial of the trio so we can figure out exactly how many years of rat prison they've earned from this episode. (sighs) Infinite. Infinity rat prison. Life in rat prison. And we all know when you're a rat, you only live for three years. So that's quite the hefty punishment. Um, okay. Oh my God, this scene. I'm tired, Carl. <laughs> this episode is so me, much. No, no, I'll do it. I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm t- <laughs> this episode is so much. I'm tired too. <sighs> so in Buffy's living room, she's asking Tara if she's sure. Tara says, I've double checked everything. There's nothing wrong with you. Buffy says, why can Spike hurt me? Tara says, You're, you are different. Like shifting you out from where you were, funneling your essence back into your body. It altered you on a basic molecular level, probably just enough to confuse the sensors or whatever is in Spike's chip. But it's all surfacey physical stuff. It wouldn't have more of an effect than a sunburn. Buffy says, I didn't come back wrong. And she's like deeply upset by this news. And Tara says, no, you're the same Buffy with a deep tropical cellular tan. And Buffy says, you must have missed something. Can you check again? And Tara says, Buffy, I promise there's nothing wrong with you. And Buffy says, 
well, there has to be. This can't be me. It isn't me. Why do I feel like this? Why do I let Spike do those things to me? And Tara says, you mean hit you? And Buffy looks at her, tears in her eyes, and then she looks away. And Tara says, oh, oh, really? And Buffy cries and says, he's everything I hate. He's everything that I'm supposed to be against. The only time that I ever feel anything is when don't tell anyone, please. Oh, the way that they would look at me, I just couldn't. And she's crying and Tara says, I won't tell anyone I wouldn't do that. And Buffy says, why can't I stop? Why do I keep letting him in? Tara asks her if she loves him. It's okay if you do. He's done a lot of good and he does love you. And Buffy doesn't say anything to that. So she says, it's okay if you don't. You're going through a really hard time and you're, and Buffy says, what, using him? That What's okay about that? And Tara says, it's not that simple. Buffy says, it is. It's wrong. I'm wrong. Tell me that I'm wrong. Please, please don't forgive me. Please, please, God, don't. Mm, and she starts to sob and she go puts her head in Tara's lap and just keeps saying over and over again like don't forgive me please don't and oh and we cut to black and oh Buffy oh and this is why like it just makes sense like when she has this breakdown here like of course she wanted to go to jail like again she just wanted to be punished for something and in this case like if Buffy went to therapy She'd learn. Oh, yeah. Go to therapy, girl. Thank you. I agree. Tara's a good first step. Don't get me wrong. I love that she's talking to Tara right now. And and me and my my bestie agreed. Tara is the best person for her to talk to about this right now. But if she went to therapy, she'd learn that it's easier for her to think that she's inhuman and wrong than accept that trauma and depression are making her behave in ways that she would not have previously. Right? Because she's like, what's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? I think that if she had some help in sorting out these feelings, she'd realize that you're not to blame Buffy, right? Like you are hurting, you're in pain, you're depressed. Like, of course, you're reaching out to things that you wouldn't normally because you're not normally feeling these things. Oh, I'm so exhausted. I don't know what to say. Um, We're not going to do this scene justice because it's at the end of a very long episode. And I found this scene very triggering because I have been Tara in this situation. I have been the person that somebody comes to and breaks down about something very similar to this, about that sense of like, something must be wrong with me to be letting this happen to me. And I was, the, you know, I've been the, the, the person who's let um, somebody cry in my lap like that. And I'm looking at it from Tara's perspective here, right? About it is so challenging. Cause what do you say? There's, there's nothing you can say. And I mean, Tara does her best, right? She's like, it's okay if you love him. It's okay if you don't love him. She's trying to cover all the bases because there is nothing to say. And and I just, I just want to say, Tara is the bright point of this season. And she's not even in so much of it. But like, oh my God. Like, I knew there was a reason I was identifying with Tara so much more in this rewatch. But, you know, I know that Buffy and Tara aren't particularly close. Tara has so much empathy, though. And when you see somebody in Buffy's position and they're, they're hurting themselves and denigrating their self-worth because they think that they're not worthy of, of real human connection and love, you want to fix it. You want to make it all better, but there is no making it better. There could be a path forward to heal, like you know you were talking about with therapy and stuff, but in that moment, there is no better and, and it sucks and it's this this feeling of helplessness on the parts of both parties. And this is such a sad and and fucked up and and awful moment for the show. 
like don't get me wrong it's a really well done scene it's so incredibly powerful you know and this is why i mentioned earlier that like don just silently hugging buffy earlier is so important because that's what tara does here right and it's that that sense of acceptance and it's that signal that buffy isn't as alone as she thinks she is she just needs to open up a bit more but i also understand even though i've never been exactly where buffy's been you know having been where tara is at the moment i understand how sometimes you don't feel like that's an option and you do feel alone and it's it's hard enough just to break down and cry it's also really hard for me um because I've been saying, right, like, it's not fair that Spike was telling her that she came back wrong. It's not fair that she's thinking that because she's not wrong. But at the same time, that was the out that Buffy was using in order to make imperfect choices and not having some outside unnatural force forcing her to, to do what she's doing devastates her because she's like, it's me making these bad choices. It's me. And she has to face that. It's like, you know, finally the mirrors hauled up and she's like, there's nothing blocking. There's nothing, there's nothing forcing my hand. I can't pretend that that's the case anymore. And now I have to actually accept that I made bad choices. <laughs> and how do you do that? And like back in season three, we saw how Faith dealt with that. And she turned to the mayor. Buffy has, has turned to Spike. She's turned to another evil being to help make her feel better, to help fill that void. And it's, it just made it so much worse, the whole Spike thing. Well, I can't forgive Spike. No. I can't because this is the problem is, and again, I am upset at the show for what they did with the trio in this episode because they make it seem like you have to be so incredibly over the top with your violence against women to be evil. But what Spike has done in this episode and what he's done in past episodes it's also evil and this is also something that people do and it's not always men but it is too often men where they gaslight and they abuse the people that they're in relationships with and they make them feel like shit and it's it's i want to say it's not fair and that's not strong enough but like spike sucks even like buffy was at his door earlier during the music video and she walked away and he followed her. So like, he's just like Warren, like he's not letting her go. Like, how dare he? How dare he take, how dare anyone take somebody as precious as Buffy? How dare anybody take somebody and, and manipulate them and take advantage of their low self-esteem or a crack in their self-worth and make them feel like they're not worthy of love and actual connection just because you want to have sex with them and keep them, you know, on the hook for something possibly more. Like, how fucking dare anybody? And it makes me so upset because, again, I have seen this happen with people I care about. And, and this to me, like, I'm not trying to discount, you know, the terrible reality of, of rape and violence against women. But this to me is also a form of violence that we don't talk enough about, which is just the constant undermining of people in relationships, even when there isn't a physical kind of like non-consensual situation happening, even when it's not physical abuse, just the gaslighting and the emotional abuse and the toxicity is so common that I think there's so many people in those situations who don't even realize it because we normalize it and we make it look like it's just a shitty situation 
that you have to go through because you you made the choice to be in that relationship and always so he's not raping you and therefore it's fine and i'm just i can't and i'm this 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 for me is why you know i cannot be on board with the spuffy ship because think what you will about how attractive spike is he's not treating buffy well in any capacity look at this scene look at buffy our precious buffy (laughs) she is sobbing her eyes out on tara's lap because of how he makes her feel and this should be the breaking point of spuffy no like we're gonna find out obviously in the next episode the next couple episodes what's gonna happen is are they gonna keep having sex is buffy gonna confront him but the thing is stay tuned the stay tuned but this should be where the spuffy nonsense stops because of how powerful this scene is with buffy breaking down in tara's lap she finally has a confidant she has somebody who is gonna listen and hopefully start steering her in a better direction, a healthier direction. So I don't know what's going to come next because no spoilers, but in my opinion, this scene should be where Buffy takes a turn. I hope the next episode is called Buffy Goes to Therapy. Right? They, they shouldn't have to escalate anything more. Buffy's at a low point. The lowest we've ever seen her is right here in this episode, crying over what she's been doing with Spike. So, God. All right. Who's your hero? I picked Tara. Yes, absolutely agreed. We don't. I don't think we need to say anything no, else. No, that's Tara. It's thanks, Tara. Tara. Thanks. Obvious. <laughs> yeah. Let's speed run these hot steaks. Let's get to these hot steaks, everybody. Um, our first one is from Frankie. Frankie wrote in about Spike and Buffy uh, specifically for this episode, and they say the way that Spike treats Buffy when she tries to turn herself in reminds me so much of Fool for Love. The way he talks to her in the alley reminds me of the last time we saw Spike be violent toward a slayer, down to the fact that Buffy is wearing a long leather jacket. The show seems to be going toward a redemption arc for him, but his violent, predatory ways have not changed. Yeah, well said, Frankie. I think I said this in the last episode, or was it the episode before? It might have been in Wrecked, where I said, like, have they started Spike's redemption arc? Have they? Because I haven't seen it yet, right? Like, there's there's essences of it, like in Fool for Love. But everything he's done in season five and now, up to now, mm, I think the bad still outweighs the good. Dalen wrote in also about dead things, but about Tara. And she says, while this episode is a lot, the scene near the end of the episode with Buffy and Tara, where Tara shows what has always seemed to me to be immediate support and comfort for Buffy without any judgment, is the reason why Tara is my favorite character in the show. My goal is always to try and be as good of a friend as Tara. I just love her. Agreed. Mm. Hard agree. Well said. Uh, Our last one is from Marty, who writes in about Spike in Smashed. Marty says, when you were saying how it feels like Buffy thinks of the dirty implications in everything Spike says, even when he's not implying anything, I think there's two explanations for it. To 13-year-old me, it felt like it was a sign of her interest in him, and I fear this was the implication the writers wanted us to think of. But now, 16 years later, it feels more like a normal reaction to him. Like we are already expecting the worst when Xander talks. She expects Spike to be a complete pervert. <laughs> True. So like, not the, so not the best idea to make it look like a sign of repressed love. But I guess we have to thank Joss Whedon for it. So true. So true. Wow. Okay. Well, congrats, Steph, on making it to the end of this episode with me. I'm sure things will get better later in season six, right? What could possibly happen after this? We deserve ice cream after covering this episode. 
We deserve kittens. We deserve nice things. We should thank our supporters, uh, especially our chosen ones from Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, Emma, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, Tasha, Ricky, Amy. Susanna, Reese, Joshua, Louise, Nicola, Julian, Jordan, Kayla, Holly, and Lizzie. Thank you so much, everybody. We love you. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. Also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Can't wait to hear from you. Praise Malik. See you next week.